0: Temperature down a little bit outside for you, bringing a little snow just so you could experience our fall and uh, have you with us. So we're going to have two days of summer this year in Canada, and hope to get to these temperatures. So uh, pray for us. I told some folks on the uh, elevator this morning. I said, uh, "Let me cheer your hearts a little bit." I said, "I'm from Canada, and I said "Uh, uh, it's a lot colder there here uh, there than it is here, and our gas is at eight dollars a gallon. So you're not doing too bad." So. Uh, things, are, things are changing around our world, aren't they? And uh, things are tough. The COVID thing is uh, passing, but it was rough on us in Canada. Many of you saw the news and some of the things that happened there. Uh, our churches will be able to go in full meeting without a mask March 21st, first time in three years. So it's been very, very tough. We've had pastors who have been jailed. Uh, We've had churches who have received huge fines, uh, all for the sake of a virus, which uh, I know is real, and it did some real things, but uh, it really took a toll. So pray for our churches in Canada. Uh, There are 300 independent Baptist churches in the entire country of Canada. There are over 700 here in the state of Ohio. So we don't have a lot, and the ones we have are good, they're solid, but uh, they're small. We have a very, very uh, liberal nation, liberal government, and we have a very conservative gospel message. And so that takes a toll. It's tough. It's hard to win people to Christ, but we're doing it. Uh, We started out, as you heard, in 2003 to reach every home in Canada with the gospel and I have one here, right there, and these are the ones that we've sent out. Uh, We've done other covers, we've done some custom covers, but the bulk of them have been these covers, God Keep Our Land, Uh, that's from our national anthem. On the back of this is the fourth verse of our national anthem that talks about God as ruler supreme, and who we're going to follow as that divine leading of our nation. And our country's gotten away from that, so we try to reach every home. There are 14.5 million homes in Canada, we have put 10 million of these in the homes of canadians and we're coming up on our uh, last two provinces quebec and new brunswick our two bilingual provinces they both speak english and french and so we'll do an english french version and we will have reached our nation with the gospel so i encourage you to come along for the last part for the third period the last few minutes of the game are remaining we'd love for you to be a part of that and help us for 40 cents 40 cents Canadian, 25 cents US, we can produce and mail this anywhere in our nation. And so I'm glad to be here today to tell you about that and ask you to pray with us about that as we reach Canada with the gospel. People have asked, what are you going to do once you reach Canada? And uh, I have to tell you that I've begged the Lord and asked the Lord uh, what to do. We had some things. I really believe we're going to partner with uh, Brother Andrew Stensis over in Eaton, Ohio. He has started the American Gospel Project. And I would love for us to help reach America with the gospel as well. So you pray with us about that. Uh, Both of our nations desperately need the gospel. People are searching. People are flooding to our countries. Our country just opened the door to any Ukrainian Uh, immigrants that want to come. Any number that want to come, we'll take them. We're the second largest population of Ukrainians outside of Ukraine, Canada is. And so they're going to come to our nation and have an opportunity to receive the gospel. And we've become a great great missions uh, project in that, that we can reach people in our own countries as they come to us and learn our language and become part of our culture. So exciting days ahead. And we praise the Lord for that. Take your Bibles, if you would turn to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. Pastoring for 30 years and now traveling uh, in evangelism and doing uh, all kinds of missions conference and different things, I, I really took a close look at missions because I have to be honest, and Pastor, I think you could probably uh, lend credence to this more than I, but uh, missions as we know it is not really working. It's not really working. I don't like to say that, and that's a shock to some, but we don't have a lot of young people going to the mission field. We don't. And we have a lot of missionaries who are coming off the field and not being replaced. And I'll be honest with you, the, the missions that we are supporting are, are getting by, but there's, there's not a great influx of, of things happening in the mission field. And I have to be very honest to tell you the same thing is true of North America. 300 independent Baptist churches in Canada. The average size is about 60 people. And we have less than 20 young men going to Bible college. We have 150 churches pastored by men my age, I'll I'll be 59 in August, my age or older that will retire or pass away in the next 5 or 10 years, and we have 20 young men. Something's got to change. Something has got to change. And so I began to look at that and I began to ask the Lord, what's the problem? Why aren't things progressing the way that we'd like? And I found this, that to have a productive missions program, to have a productive church, It has to become personal. Personal. And most of us today do not take missions personally. We have the conference. We put up the uh, stunningly beautiful dolls. I've never seen this before. This is awesome. And I'm glad we have Canada right down front here, our little RCMP officer there. Um, That's awesome. We have the bulletins. We bring in the missionaries. But that's almost the extent. Very few church members have any real idea of what missions is really all about. You probably know what a missionary is. Some of the missionaries your church supports. That, that the church gives some money to help those missionaries. And that those missionaries are trying to give others the gospel. That's what you may know. And, and if you know that, I'm glad that you know that. But what are your missionaries' names? What fields do they represent? How many people did they see saved last month? What great needs do they have? What would they like to do in order to reach the nation that they represent more? Sadly, I find few really get and understand what missions is all about, and all because we don't understand the personal aspects of missions. I want you to take a look at the life of Philip, and through that, show you that productive missions is personally proactive. Would you say those two words? Personally proactive. Say them with me. Personally proactive. I want to get you this morning personally proactive about missions. Now, I say this unashamedly. Part of the reasons that your church is having a missions conference is because we want to raise more money for missions. No question. We want to do more. But I have to tell you that the greatest need that most missionaries have today is not finances. It's not. I'll show you what it is. Let's look at John chapter 1. Let's read verses 35 to 46. Again, the next day after John stood and two of his disciples, and looking upon Jesus as he walked, he saith, Behold, the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speak and followed Jesus. Now, most preachers don't like to lose some of their best people to somebody else, but in this case that was okay. Verse 38. Then Jesus turned and saw them following and said unto them, "What seek ye?" They said unto him, "Rabbi," which is to say being interpreted a master, "where dwellest thou?" He said unto them, "Come and see." And they came and saw where he dwelt and he bowed with them, abode with him that day, for it was about the 10th hour. One of the two which heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. And he first findeth his own brother Simon, and saith unto him, We have found the Messiahs, which is being interpreted the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. And when Jesus beheld him, he said, Thou art Simon, the son of Jonah. Thou shalt be called Cephas, which is by interpretation Al Stone. I mean, A-Stone. Just one letter off. (laughs) The day following, Jesus would go forth unto Galilee, and findeth Philip, and saith unto him, Follow me. Now Philip was a Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip findeth Nathanael, saith unto him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law. And the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said unto him, Can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip saith unto him, Come and see. There's some great stuff here in this passage. Stuff at first that we maybe miss. Let me show you some personal touches that produce some incredible missions. Number one, proactive people personally pilot people. Andrew, following John the Baptist, meets Jesus, hears him speak, and tells Peter, we have found the Messiah. So We've found the Messiah. Now, I've been to Israel 12 times. I was talking to pastor. I don't think he's ever been. Brother Jacob, have you ever been to Israel? Oh, my goodness. We have got to get these guys to Israel. It will change them. It will change you forever. I go every February. I would love to take you next February. I'll give pastor the information. When you go to Israel and visit those places, if I say the Sea of Galilee this morning, where these guys were, where they're traveling around speaking, I can see it. I'm right there. I'm standing looking at it. It's seven miles across, 21 miles long. I can see the Golan Heights. I'm out there at about 5.30 in the morning. I see the sun coming up over the Golan Heights. I look right over here to my left, and here's Magdala, where Mary Magdalene was from. They just found that site a few years ago. I'm over here, and I see Capernaum, Capernaum, where Jesus had his earthly ministry. Behind us is Nazareth. There's a trail. I'm up on Mount Arbel, and I'm looking at a trail that leads all the way to Nazareth. Jesus would have walked there. I can see it in my mind's eye. I tell people that if you can get your pastors to uh, Israel, uh, it'll make them a much better preacher because when they preach, they'll be able to see what they're talking about. And most, pre- most churches tell me, uh, I'd like for a pastor to be a better preacher. So I'm just saying, I'm just saying. So I'm there, and I'd like for you to see it. And here's Jesus walking with these men. He says, I've seen the Messiah. One of the things that you'll see when you go to Israel is you go to the wailing wall. The Wailing Walls, the Western Wall. It's the only, only exposed part of the Temple Mount area that was there from the part, time of Jesus Christ. And the Jews go there, and they, you've seen them perhaps on TV. They stand there, and they bob back and forth. And, and people put little prayers in the cracks of the wall. And you'll hear them, and, and you'll hear them say, Mishiah, Mishiah. And they're calling for the Messiah to come. They don't think Jesus was the Messiah, obviously. We know he was. And I go to the wailing wall and I say, thank you for the Messiah. Thank you for the Messiah. You wonder why people bob back and forth. It takes pressure off your back. That's why they do it. (laughs) If you're staying there for a long period of time, a hard concrete, you know, surface. So they're crying for the Messiah. I'm crying for the Messiah to come too. Back to get us out of here. (laughs) We're ready. We've had enough. (laughs) And so he says, we have found the Messiah. And then what he utters next makes missions personal. And he brought him. To Jesus. He brought him to Jesus. He didn't just tell him about Jesus. He didn't just reference Jesus. He brought him to Jesus. He didn't just tell him. He didn't send him. He brought him. He didn't bring him to church, a church function or church special day. He brought him to the Savior. Could I tell you that as independent Baptists, we've become great at inviting people to church, But not so great as inviting people to Jesus Christ. Because inviting people to church isn't near as offensive as asking them about Jesus. I'll tell you, I grew up in the 70s, which was an incredible time. Uh, Sex, drugs, rock and rolls, hippies. That was the 70s. It was a strange time. But you know what else was awesome in the 70s? Revival. This church and, and many of the churches in Ohio grew exponentially in the 70s into the 80s because the hippie movement realized that sex, drugs, and rock and roll did not fill the need of their lives. And when they heard about Jesus Christ, they said, that's what's been missing. And so they began to come to our churches and hear about Jesus Christ and see a life uh, lived in the, in the joy of Christ and, and, and revival broke out. Could I tell you that this generation that we're in right now, if you have kids right now, grandkids, you know that this millennial generation, you know what they are? They're hippies. They're hippies. The music of this day, the dress of this day, the the whole drug culture of this day, if you look at them, they're hippies. My son is 29 years of age. Great kid. Awesome kid. He works with mentally handicapped adults. He tells people that he got great training at home. I tell him, don't you talk about your mother that way. He's going to leave his job. He wants to move out west here in the United States. He wants to live in a van and travel around for a while and just experience life. I said, you're a hippie. He said, I just want to experience life. He's, he's got a plan. He's got it all laid out. He's going to financially be able to do it. But it's a different life. And, and here's what I find. This millennial generation is seeking for something. They want to make a million dollars off an app. And they're going to live in their parents' basements to save a ton of money because they don't want the, the pressure of, of, of having a home and all that goes with it. And this generation, I believe, is going to come to a place where they say, this isn't cutting it for us. This isn't doing it. And they're going to be looking for someone to point them in the direction of some help. I just spent the last two months helping a young lady who has, for the last 10 years, been cutting herself with razor blades. She has great anguish. She has some great stresses. She has some anxieties. And for the last 50 days, she has not cut herself with a razor blade. I pointed her to the Bible. I pointed her to prayer. I pointed her to great gospel music. She was saved. She's a Christian. And I pointed her to uh, thinking about the things of Christ and, and the joys of Christ in the Christian life. And for 50 days, she's been successful. People are hurting today. This whole COVID thing has left us with a generation of people that are desperately hurting. And if we say to them, hey, come to church that's not going to be enough. It's not going to be enough. Folks, you're here in an adult Sunday school class this morning, I believe, because you've had good grounding in God's Word. You've been raised in a church. You've been raised in a family. You, you, you've got some understanding of the importance of what church is all about. And, and, and we now have to become those who take people to Jesus, not just church. Here's what happened in the 70s. People came and then we got into the 80s and the 90s and we found out that people were less apt to come to church and they weren't as open to the gospel. So we came up with some great ideas. We have a great Christmas program or we'd have an Easter cantata or we'd have a a children's Sunday school program and we'd invite people to church for that and, and it worked. We'd have big bouncy castles and we'd give away hot dogs and people would come to church and it was great. But that began to wane as well. And we thought, well, we could at least fight them to those things. But it also did this. It took the burden off us to be soul winners. If there is a need in our churches today, it's to get back to personal evangelism. And you will never understand the need of missions. You'll never support your missionaries. You'll never take that trip to the mission field until you first understand that this thing of missions is personal. I have an involvement in missions These men had an involvement in missions. Listen to me carefully now. Get this. It's crucial. Write it down. You will never really get missions to you yourself bring people to meet the Savior, Jesus. You'll never get it. You won't understand. You won't understand what it is to go to Peru and give the gospel to people. You won't understand what it is to go to Italy and give the gospel to people. You won't understand that. Until you yourself first try to do that. Now you'll say this, well, I, I don't know if I'm trained to do that. These men were not trained. They simply found Jesus. They found something that changed their lives in a moment. And when they heard him and saw him and spent a little time with him, they knew this is the Messiah, just like you did. Remember? I was a nine-year-old kid sitting on a couch. My grandma sitting next to me. My pastor sitting across from me. My uncle who loved me and took me to Sunday school. Uh, my mom and dad were Christians but fell away from the Lord. And and sat there and showed me the gospel, and I knew enough from Sunday school as a nine-year-old kid that I knew I needed a savior. And when he introduced me to Jesus, I jumped on board, and I've never left. There are people out there today who are looking. Could I say this? I don't know so much in the United States. I I think I think we're very similar in a lot of things, but in Canada, people were scared to death in this time of COVID. Scared to death. I know there'll be people in Canada, uh, they'll have the mask mandate lifted on March the 21st in Ontario. There will still be people wearing those masks after they lift that. They're scared. I told people this I was not scared through COVID at all. I got it. I had it. Like most people, I had it and, and survived. And some people did not. But I'll tell you this if I'd got COVID and died, that's okay. I'm a Christian, I go to heaven. Isn't that what we're shooting for anyways? Isn't it funny? I want to go to heaven someday. And then the Lord says, okay, it's time. We're like, not yet, not yet. <laughs> really? You want to stay here? You want to go through this? Man, we got nothing to lose. You say, well, what if they get offended? I'd rather have people get offended and me be able to stand before God and say, I did all that I could do than say, Lord, I didn't tell anybody because I was afraid to get offended. Listen, this Gospel of John and Book of Romans offends people. It tells them you're a sinner. But I know this, and folks, in helping us with this, here's one thing, Brother Jacob, here's one thing. When I stand before God in, in, in our time of judgment, I'm going to be able to say to God, of the people of Canada in my generation, they have no excuse not to have heard the gospel. We did our part. We shared with everyone the opportunity to know Christ. Whether they receive or reject it was on them. Now, this isn't the end all, trust me. But it's a great beginning. It's a great way to reach a lot of people very quickly. But this idea of telling others, when's the last time, if ever, you brought someone to Jesus? If you're a Christian today, I believe we have a moral, we have a, a spiritual, we have a, we have a religious obligation to tell other people what Jesus did for us. And it's so simple to do. Until you attempt that, you'll never know the fear, the frustration, the fight, the fatigue, the fruition, and the festivity of missions. You won't know that. You won't know what it's like to load your family up and head to a strange place and start life over with a new culture and a new language. You'll never know that. You'll never know what it is to go and and begin knocking on doors to people that you don't really know. You won't know. A missionary is you bringing people to Jesus here, bringing to people Jesus there. That's what missions is. You're winning people to Jesus Christ here so that you can help support others who are doing the exact same thing somewhere else. Here is is missions in Peru. Someone knocking on doors saying, hey, would you like to know Jesus? They know Jesus, would you like to come to church? And they start a church and they have church. That's missions. Isn't that what we're doing right here? It's no different. We get this glamorized view of missions of they go and people flock and, and, and we hear of hundreds and thousands and, and the nation and that all comes from one thing, hard work, just like it comes from here. This generation that sits before me this morning knows about hard work. We grew up, I'm sure your dad was my dad. My house, my rules. You don't work you don't eat. You get in trouble at school, you get it twice as bad at home. How many had that dad? We're all kin. We're all kinfolk. Are we in West Virginia? <laughs> or Kentucky? <laughs> We're not that different. And so we know that. And we've gotten away from that. And, and we look at this younger generation. And what's our complaint about this younger generation? They're lazy. They don't work hard. Well, they do work hard, they work hard with their heads. We worked hard with our hands and our backs. That's the difference. We look at them and say, well, they didn't work. Well, let me tell you something. We better keep working. If they're not working, then we better keep working until we die because somebody needs the gospel in Massillon, Ohio. Who's going to take it to them? Most churches are built by people bringing people to Jesus. Not many show up alone and say, you know, I was driving by and saw that church name and thought I'd just stop in this morning. That doesn't happen a lot. Let me show you this. Number two, proactive people personally perceive people. Look at this, would you? Verse 44, Philip was a Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Verse 44 says this, now Philip a Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip findeth Nathanael, all right? Let's stop there for a moment. Philip was a Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Why do you think God added that little tidbit of information for us? Why did he put they were of the same city? Philip lived in the same city as Andrew and Peter, but say to a house of fish, that's what it means. Do you think maybe Philip knew Peter and Andrew? I think he probably did. I, I think there's strong evidence of that. And maybe he was a friend, maybe he was a relative. Do you think that in a fishing village of maybe a few thousand people, that Philip may have heard about the conversion of the brothers? You think word might have spread about that? Hey, listen. I know, I grew up in a town of 8,000 people in Canada, Simcoe, Ontario, right across the lake from, from uh, Erie, Pennsylvania. I know. I now live in St. Thomas and pastored in St. Thomas. We're uh, 60 miles across the lake from Cleveland, Ohio, where my wife is from. And so uh, in that small town, if something happened, it spread pretty quickly. There weren't a lot of secrets in my, my little hometown And I think in this village of a few thousand people, when word got out that two Jewish boys had left uh, what they had been grounded in and taught in and followed this new teacher, this new Messiah, I think the word spread. And I believe you heard about it. I I heard there there, there was a commotion. heard about it. Now watch this. Look at verse 43. Jesus would go forth and findeth Philip and says, follow me. All right? Now, in verse 45, Philip says to Nathanael, we have found him. What's going on here? What's happening? Who found who? Well, the answer is both. The answer is both. Who is we? To lend credence, I believe Philip is including, without mention, Peter and Andrew. Jesus goes to Philip and says, follow me. And Philip goes, yeah. And his goes back and says, hey, we found the Messiah. Me and the two other guys we've been talking about, Peter and Andrew, the word's out. It's starting to spread. It's beginning to multiply, as we've seen it do, many, many times. Jesus predestinated to do so, and Philip obviously looking to find Christ. There are people in your life that are looking for Jesus. They just don't know it yet. They don't know it. They're trying drugs. They're trying alcohol. They're trying pornography. They're trying uh, uh, social status. They're trying a, a better business. And it's not fulfilling their lives. Could I tell you that Canada and America is plagued with drugs today? Plagued. Alcoholism is going through the roof. And what baffles me is that Christians are jumping on board with it. Why? Why are people taking that into their lives? Why are they giving themselves over those things that we know destroys the life? Because their life is empty. Their life is void of something. We had a man in our church, Jim McGlynn was his name, was a deacon in our church, great man, one of my dearest friends, and if he hadn't been a member of my church, probably would have been my best friend. And Jim and I were traveling down to Mansfield, Ohio to go to the men's conference, and and I said, Jim, I said, "uh, why did you get saved? He said, Pastor, before I got saved, he said, I tried everything in this life. He said, I've drank every kind of alcohol you can drink. He said, I've tried every kind of drug that you can try. He said, I've had all kinds of women. He says, I've had money. He says, I've had travel. I've had money. He said, Pastor, my wife's aunt said to me, Jim, there's something missing in your life. And he said, I knew it. I knew it. He said, all those things i had tried, car surfing, skydiving, bungee jumping. He said, I did all that to fill this void in my life. And when I heard about Jesus, I knew that's what was missing in my life. And he got saved, gloriously saved. Folks, there are people in your life that are searching for the same thing. And you haven't asked them about Jesus. You haven't introduced them to Jesus. You will not get missions until we get that. Finally, proactive people personally persuade people. Look at verse 46. It says, And Nathan said unto him, Can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip saith unto him, Come and see. Nathaniel, now watch, don't just take my word for it. That's not what he does. He says, come and see for yourself. When's the last time you said to someone, oh man, I have got the best life. Our life is awesome. My kids love us. We love them. Our grandkids, my job is awesome. I got great friends. Oh, my my life's complete. And people say, why? Come and see. Come and see. I can tell you about it, but I want to I introduce you. I, I used to wear a button. I've tried all kinds of things to win people to cross. I love soul winning, by the way. I wore a button and said, ask me. Ask me. And I, I thought I'd see how many people would bite. And, and some people did. I'd be on an elevator and somebody would say, okay, I'm asking. I'd say, I want to tell you about Jesus. I want to tell you what Jesus did in my life. I want to tell you that, that asking Jesus into my life was the greatest decision I ever made in my life. Has it been easy? Not always. Have you had any difficulties? Oh, yeah. Have there been any disappointments, heartbreaks? Yes. But I had Jesus to walk with me. Andrew brings Peter. Andrew and Peter bring Philip. And Philip brings Nathaniel. Each a personal persuasion. You would think that when Jesus spoke that people would just fall down and get saved, but that's not how God intended it. That's not how God planned it. He wanted people to invite people to know Jesus. Each of these would go on to propagate the gospel throughout the world, but it all started at home. And and folks, missions is supplied not only through the church financially, but also through physically. Are there some people here today? And and as I look at this crowd, we're a middle-aged crowd or upper middle-aged crowd. We've got some really old guys here in the front row in a gray suit, but other than that, other than that, Some of us are at that point in our lives where we say, you know what, I I can retire. I don't have to go to work every day. How about you do this? How about you leave the grind of going to work every day and go to the mission field and spend a couple months? You, You get to see the world and serve the Savior at the same time. What missionary wouldn't like for somebody to come over and say, hey, what can I do? I can paint, I can, I can fix your car, I can watch the kids, I can teach a Sunday school lesson. I, I might not know Spanish or Italian, but, but I, I can get an interpreter and, and I can do that. There are things that we can do. Hey, take your kids to Disney World, but take them to Haiti. Take them to the Philippines. Take them to Honduras. Take them to Mexico. And say, kids, these people need Jesus. Take them somewhere and let them know that there's a work to be done. We need people reaching people around this world. How could we ever have a heart for those we will never know until we have a heart to win those that we do? Who do you personally perceive right now that needs the gospel? I want you to think right now, do you know anybody in your life right now that needs the gospel? Somebody you work with, the girl at the grocery store, the guy at the gas station. Is there somebody in your life right now that you think could probably use the gospel? If you can think of someone, raise your hand high in the air, would you? We should all be able to raise our hands. We should know, if you don't know someone, then you ought to get in a position where you do know someone. I love wood carving. I do wood carving. And I've been doing it for seven, eight years. And I had an interest in it, and uh, I was talking to a guy in my church one day. And he said, uh, my brother's a woodcarver. I said, oh, man, I'd love to learn how to do that. He goes, well, let me call him. Maybe he'll help you. I said, that'd be great. So he called him. The guy said, yeah. I said, listen, we got a bunch of guys that meet on Thursday nights. So why don't you come down and uh, we'll, we'll go through with it. I said, that'd be great. So I went down, and there were about 50 guys, and they're all like 70, 80, 90 years of age. I come in as a 40-year-old 40, 40 man, 45-year-old man. I walk in. It was like a new girl in school. <laughs> Woo, fresh blood, fresh blood. They love to teach, it's like, it's like preachers. We want to teach younger preachers, don't we? And they want to teach younger men how to do it. So I sat there, man, they provided me with everything. I thought this, I thought, this is going to be my mission field. As a pastor, you kind of run out of that circle of people too. And I thought, here's 50 guys that I can, I can buddy up with and talk to and win to Christ. And you know what? I led someone to Christ and had someone come to church. It's awesome. And then I thought, you know what? I haven't played hockey for a few years. And, and I thought, I'm going to get back in shape and I'm going to start playing hockey again because there's a whole team of guys there that I could talk to. I became, the, I became the chaplain for our fire department. I've got now 50 guys that I'm giving the gospel to. It's awesome. But you've got to look for those opportunities. Volunteer at the hospital. Go to the Humane Society. Go, do a reading time with kids at the library, do something to find people with that intent purpose that I'm going to give them the gospel. My dad was a great bus captain, incredible bus captain. And here was his philosophy. He said, if I don't talk to the parents within the first three visits of that home, I'll probably never give them the gospel. Because you get through, you think, hey, are your kids going to church this Sunday? Yes. Okay. Mark that off list. Are your kids coming? No. Okay. They're not coming. And you run through that list. Hey, listen, in the next few days, would you think of that person that you just perceived that needed the gospel, and would you, within the next three times of meeting them, give them the gospel of Jesus Christ? Because if you don't, you probably never will. Would you personally persuade them to meet Jesus? I want you to know Christ. You know, we have these for Canada, but Milford, Ohio, has millions of these in any language that you want. Get some of these. Hey, i got to tell you something. i I got this little booklet. And in this booklet, there's something that changed my life. And I want to introduce you to that. Would you take a few minutes and follow through this step-by-step process? And I'm going to come back another day and ask you what you thought of it. Maybe do this. Write out your testimony. Do a little video. Print up a little card. And tell people how you met Jesus. And pass that out to people. Can I tell you what changed my life forever? is Jesus. And then finally, I would say this. Who's the last person you piloted to Christ? Can you think of the last person that you brought to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ yourself personally? If you can't remember, it's been too long. If you don't remember ever, it's time to start. But preacher, I, I don't know if I can. Can you say this? Jesus loves you. And so do I. For God so loved the world. He gave his only begotten son. Why? Because he loved us. He Loved us. Missions begins in a greater, more productive manner. When we make missions personal. Father, thank you for this time we've had this morning. I pray that you bless our time in the morning service and God, I pray this morning that these folks would grasp this morning what it is that I'm trying to say. It's pretty simple. We need to be soul winners. Every one of us. There is nowhere in the Bible that says that we are excluded from trying to win the lost. There's Not because we're too timid, not because we're too shy, not because we're not learned enough. There's nothing. We're simply to go into all the world and preach the gospel. And Father, really, the world's coming to us. We can reach so many nations today right here in our own cities. Help us to do that. Father, our prayer this morning is not that we might know the scriptures more. It's not that we might be uh, more understanding of the techniques of soul winning. Our prayer this morning is, Lord, give us boldness. Because that's really what we lack. Help us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we stand to our feet with our heads bowed and eyes closed. Maybe God's spoken to your heart. Maybe you say, Preacher, I, I need to take this personal. Maybe you've gotten away from it. Maybe you've gotten distracted. Maybe, maybe something in life has just kind of drawn you away from what you usually would do. What a great message. We need to be personally involved reaching the lost whatever the need if God's spoken to your heart the altar's open maybe you're here this morning and you'd say well I don't I don't know the Lord I, I I've tried all the things in life and I don't know him as my personal savior why not ask him to save you today?